let me introduce everyone to you. I'll, I'll start at the end, which is Stephen McIntosh, um, one of those actors who's always in work and always on our screens. Um, next, to Stephen, next to Stephen, of course, is Cara. Um, next to Cara is Chris. Chris is a writer turned director turned producer and general impresario. Um, <laughs> and Sharon. Um, Sharon, who've spent two years on the house here. No, I, I mean, I just wanted to kick things off. But World War II, what, what is it that keeps drawing us back to making dramas about World War II and, and why is the Halcyon different? Um, I think what's, what's interesting, and Steve and I were talking about this earlier, is I think there's something romanticised about World War II. And I think what's also interesting is that, you know, we're still at a point where it's generationally close to us. You know, either our mothers have stories, our grandparents have stories, and we have grown up with stories of the Second World War. And so, therefore, I think it's something that we still feel massively connected to uh, in a way that uh, other periods of time less so. So I think that's probably why, you know, people keep coming back to it, is there's so much great material. And, you know, I, I know I personally have loads of stories that I've heard of family relatives. And I think it was a very bizarre time where, you know, anything could happen. And I, and I think that's one of the things we've tried to reflect in the series, this idea that at any point, anything could happen. You know, a bomb could drop on your head. So screw it, let's, let's you know, live till, you know, live, live for the now, live for the moment. And uh... Yeah, everything was heightened. And I think people are fascinated by that. And they're fascinated by how people live in the middle of all of that. And so bringing it back to the hotel. So yeah. having a hotel in the middle of that, which is trying to maintain five-star standards, keep things... You know, Stephen's character is all about trying to keep everything looking absolutely perfect and spot on. And actually underneath it, I mean, basically we start in the phony war, but, you know, once the blitz starts, we're halfway through the series, then everything just starts to become very difficult um, and things start to sort of become challenging, fall apart. But his job is to keep it all on the rails. Um, exactly. Yeah, I just think that that contrast between a kind of uh, a haven, a kind of high-class haven with the, with the backdrop of the, the jeopardy of, uh, of the war is a, is, a, is a fantastic contrast. And the idea that whatever happens, we must maintain things as if nothing is going on outside at all. But inevitably, that can't happen because, as we know, we know what happens in the war and we know that it, eventually everyone will be affected by it without exception. And so that... Yeah, there's, there's such huge potential there for drama. And, and I mean, 1940 is interesting in itself because it, you talked about the phony war, mm. and this is, I mean, it feels a bit like life before Donald Trump and before Brexit. <laughs> I know, um, about it. <laughs> but the war has been declared, but it hasn't actually started. We're still before Dunkirk. Yeah. And we, we, we talked a lot about whether it was the right place to start a series, and whether, you know, when should the Blitz start? I mean, we don't start the Blitz until episode five. We wanted to have that feeling of it's coming, it's coming, a bit like Donald Trump, <laughs> hoping it would be, but it, it did. And then, you know, and then finally it hits, and it's like, you're right, it's sort of life afterwards. And, um, and so we wanted to show that contrast, because I think there is something quite interesting about that moment before, you know, to yeah. sort of hope that it won't come. And, and you know, it's it about showing a different side of war. I mean, one of the things Sharon and I talked a lot about is, again, there have been so many Second World War dramas before us, but how do you show a different angle of that? And I think the phony mm. war hasn't really been shown. Most mm. you know, TV dramas or films, they start in the middle of the Blitz. And it's about showing that pressure cooker world that leads us up to the moment. You mm. know, and, and it really is a pressure cooker. That, that, was, that was something that uh, we worked with Victoria Fear ITV on yeah. this. And, um, 
she was always saying, you know, let's not have the same received ideas. That was her sort of note that came along, which really stuck in my head. And so that's sort of what we were constantly thinking about. I mean, it's so easy to fall into the same old tropes, the same old things that we know. Well, um, our finest hour, good and evil, yeah. and yet, you know, right at, right at the start, you've got the aristocrats yeah. and the industrialists around yes. a table exactly. trying to so carve it up. We were trying, <laughs> exactly. And so we were just trying to sh show it in a different light and also not show those kind of people sitting around a radio listening f to announcements and all that kind of stuff that you know from wartime dramas. Mm. Um, and make it feel contemporarily accessible. You know, I think with the music, for instance, Cara's music, which our wonderful composer Sam Sim and Chris Egan wrote, pretty much all the music you hear in the show is new. It's, mm. it's not of the time. It's, we've written it for the show. Jamie Cullum's written originally for the show. Beverly Knight's written for the show. And, and I think it's important, you know, to have that idea that it feels period correct but is slightly contemporised for, for a modern Chris, audience. Chris is obsessed with period correct because he made Downton, and, uh, which is brilliant. <laughs> We've only mentioned Downton twice so far. Yeah, no, it's good. There's people that have got a drinking so game. So when he on. arrived on the show... He, <laughs> yeah. Um, so when he arrived onto the show, you know, we'd been developing it for a while, and, and then Chris arrived and he would talk about period correct. But I think the thing we wanted was all of that, Thank you very much, and then Chris. And throw it away. Um, no, not at all. We wanted yeah. them to like... But we still wanted it... We wanted also to feel fresh and energised and not feel like it's sort of people sitting in drawing rooms. Well, I mean, it's a, very, it's a very multiracial cast. Yes, yes. Um, That's important to us. Yeah, massively. I, I think, you know, you only have to look at the, the, the history of the time and actually London was already a multicultural hotbed. But again, it's something you don't see in drama. Now, it, it's that fine balance of, you know, how you tell those stories. But I think with both uh, the character of Sonny, the band leader, and with a, a, a DLR... Uh, uh, Barman. I think it's, those are important stories to tell, and I think you know we have a uh, an obligation now as a modern television production to tell those stories. And I, I think again, the music, those stories. It's it's about finding ways that it will connect with a modern audience, so it just doesn't feel like another classic period stuffy drama. Yeah, I wanted it to feel like it was accessible for young people, yeah. but at the same time, obviously you have all the things that you have to do because it's a period drama. Um, so, yeah, that was massively in our heads, wasn't it? No, but I mean, in my, in my office at Radio Times, where um, a couple of the 20-somethings were watching it, and they absolutely loved the fashion, because 40s mm. fashion is sort of back in vogue at the moment. There are lots of blitz parties for New Year's Eve, I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> not that I'm going to one. Yeah, the double-breasted is back, I, I gather. <laughs> yes, not on this panel. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. I've had to unbutton my jacket here. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, but it must be fantastic, Tara. Oh, the, yeah, the... I really lucked out on the um, Anna Robinson, who sort of... Is she here? Yeah, Anna's there. Is she? Anna. There she yeah. is. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, she was, as you can see, she was incredible. And I think I've sort of done 20s and 30s, and that's very um, comfortable but frumpy and not sort of flattering at all. So I think the 40s brings it all together, and it's tailored and but beautiful. And, um, and so Anna went to Paris and I got to wear some incredible things. So I was, I was very lucky. Oh. And poor Hermione sort of is constantly in a uniform and she's like <laughs> our beautiful swan, but she doesn't get to dress up it at all. It gets better so for her. It later. does get I've better later on. It was quite bad in the early it days. Does, it does, it does. It changes. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Can, yeah. 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 We'll see. I'm about to give a spoiler away then, and then I thought, oh, no, don't say anything. Um, <laughs> there, there are no spoilers tonight. We're all, we're all, all social media is banned. <laughs>
but I mean the music because yeah, I mean you've got you've got some fantastic people to come mm -hmm. along and help and help you out on that. We did. I mean, early on, um, so when we first talked about doing the show, Andy Harris, who also execs the show, he was like, you know, do some, some, do something with the music, do something with the music. And I, you know, we sort of talked a lot about how music should feel completely integral to it because, you know, we wanted to show the world, you know, from a young point of view, we wanted to see what people were doing. I like the idea of like young people, like when Betsy and goes out to the Café de Paris with Emma, that they're sort of, it's a bit like going to a club, you know, it's that yeah. kind of feel to it. Um, so, you know, at one point it was all kind of going a bit Baz Luhrmann. It wasn't ever going to really go down that road. But I suppose it just meant we were thinking of the music all the time from the beginning. And we met um, a music producer called Amanda Ghost, and she wrote three of the songs, the songs that Jamie Cullen... Because you've got Jamie Cullen yeah. doing them, you've got Beverly Knight doing them. You hold your album. And I've got... Album yeah. available on Decca Records. This is still war. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's available for Christmas, yeah. but it certainly will be in the but, new year. Yes, it will be. Um, so, yeah, Jamie Cullum sings two songs in the show and is on the album. And uh, Beverly Knight um, sang in the show and has a sort of character in the show. And she's fan I mean, they're both fantastic. And then that also then spills into everything else because then when the amazing Sam Sim um, composed the music for the show and wrote all these amazing songs, sort of based on the time. Oh, he's he saves a bear. And you know, it's not, and so really we never normally have a composer in so early. Yeah. And he, I think, you know, he was on board, probably one of the first people on board with the writers and that us, so the script team. And then, you know, we were talking about music from day one because we wanted it to feel really integrated and not feel like we slapped it on afterwards. Yeah. And uh, so, I th and I think we've actually really proud of that because I think we've achieved it. So true. I think the music feels like a character in it, which mm. is great. Yeah. It, it's 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 integral, and, and I think yes, music is often kind of less le left to you know it, it, it's ignored in a way, and this mm. is yeah, it's right it's at the important heart of to bring it. it forefront. Yeah. And, you know, also you know, hats off to Cara, like. You know, it's not just learning lines for a day. Yeah, poor Cara, you had a lot to do. It's learning songs, it's pre-records, it's all the things that you have to do to, to manage that. You know, and, and I think, I don't think either of us, Sharon or I, had realised just how big an element music would be of yeah, the show. Yeah, a lot you of know, work. Uh, it's a lot of work, you know. Yeah. Sam Sim is pretty much dead over there. Um, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know and, I, and I think, but actually, it, it's about that kind of thing. We were talking earlier about the period critics that you throw away. And it's the same about the music. You know, we hear music around us all the time, but actually, most of it's just, you know, you, you, you become aware of it and you throw it away. And actually, I think that what it has to be in the show, it's part of the bloodline. Like I said, it's a character. But actually, it's about finding the right balance of it, so it never actually mm. feels like it's, ladies and gentlemen, Jamie Cullum, you know. <laughs> and it, it's about finding that right balance, and I, I really think with the Halcyon, we've done that, and I think that's why it feels like a character. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt so lucky, because usually actors, you go in and you do your thing, and you go home, but it was good to see the, another layer of the making of. Yeah. And I got to go to Angel Studios and watch Sam with the orchestra, and it's just a very special um, element to be part of. And were they songs that you, of the style you've sung before, or was that? No, I've never, I've never really sang that much before until the last sort of um, couple of years, and now you can't stop me. But it was really, um, it's really interesting um, because with jazz, you just have to be very confident and sort of try different things out. But obviously, the songs were being written as we went along. So and, and yeah, they did a good job. I was going to ask Chris because um, one of one of the sort of tropes of Downton is that the, it, Julian Fellows famously was writing it as he went along and as he was filming it. Yeah. 
were you, um, did you go in that route or did you know what you were going to do in episode seven when you were... No, I mean, I think, I think well, you know, what's, what's interesting, you know, and hats off to Julian, is for one man to write every hour of Downton for six seasons, 11 hours a, a season, that was a, an incredible feat. But it did mean that quite often towards the end of the series we would be a little bit up against it. <laughs> um, but actually, you know, luckily we didn't have that. When I, when I joined the Halcyon, we already had the entire series storylined and obviously things are constantly changing and evolving, and, uh, but actually it, it, you have to have that kind of pre-planning. And, you know, like, touch wood, if this show, everybody here loves it and the world will love it, you know, we're already thinking about ideas for season two because it's, it's that fore-planning that allows you to create great story. And, again, you know, things like the music, if we hadn't have had everything mm. up front... You know, you, you, you been... need to plan that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But we always had like, I always knew what was going to happen to you at the end. Yeah. That was the key. <laughs> right. <laughs> as long yeah. as I knew that, and then nothing, I didn't know what, and then Lady Hamilton, there was a sort of whole thing about that. And then yeah. I didn't know how we were going to get there, to be honest, but I knew it was coming. I think know. that's really the only thing. It's a large ensemble. You know, tw there's 22 main cast in the show, let alone the other 60 guest cast. Uh, I'd like to just very quickly say, obviously, we've got uh, Stephen and Cara here too, but there's a lot of our lovely other cast in the audience. Thank you for coming. Um, but honestly, it's, it's keeping all those plates spinning and actually that's one of the things that evolves. There are things when you get, uh, you get another episode come through and then you go, oh, no, but that actually really works. And then you have to tweak that storyline. And yeah. So it's a constant evolving piece. I think serious television, you have to respond to what you see. So when you start watching Rushes, you have, even though it's annoying and you think, oh, God, that's really good. Okay, we'll have to change that now. And so you need writers that can do that. And... Uh, Turn it around. Yeah, yeah, really. But I think, yeah, but I think as an actor, but if it fills you with confidence, if you feel that there is a, if you feel that there's a plan ahead, you know what I mean. As I said, I kind of, I had a sense of where I was going, and I think that. Uh, I mean, I have worked on things where things that are you get scripts are very, very late, and that can be a little bit nerve wracking, and it can just, yeah, it can just, it can just shake you a little. little. So it's mm. just, it's, it's lovely when you feel that there's a kind of, a, there's a vision, that, that's. With you. And, and some of the vision is clearly not just going to be appealing here. You've got your Ed Murrow character mm -hmm. from, from the States. I, I'm interested in the sort of time scale that you're working on. Where, where will, what year will we be, we'll um, be in at the end of the we'll first still, series? We'll still be in 1940. And then yeah. we have a plan to go, obviously, for many series. And then we go well, 1941, 42. And that's what we're planning 41 at the moment, yeah. aren't we? Um, so you're not going to jump into sort of crown style into the uh, 1970s? Advice, no. 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 I mean, God, God hope if everyone loves the show and we can do uh, a year of the war per season, then that's very much the plan. And I think, you know, there are so many stories to tell and so many moments in history within the Second World War. So, as Sharon said, we're, we're planning 1941 at the moment. That's yeah. as far as we're Talking planning. about Pearl Harbor. Oh, <laughs> well, I can yeah. see you delving through your history, <laughs> yeah. but history books exactly. at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I mean, again, you, I think you're dead right when you talk about the war and how it touches touches people and resonates in families. I mean, I know I'm looking forward to Christmas with my 93-year-old mother-in-law whose best years were in a munitions factory in Wakefield where she burnt both her eyebrows off. And, you know, life has been <laughs> a bit of a disappointment ever after. Um, but, but Stephen, you've, your grandfather was caught up in the campaign in the East, I think. Yeah, my, my grandfather died um, in a camp uh, in, in Burma, uh, yeah, build, building the Burma Railway. So, um, yeah, I've grown up with... Uh, that that story's part part of my family, and I've you know I remember looking at his medals as a as a young boy. So uh, as Chris was saying, I think that's the, that's the power of this war. It's it, we're we're connect we're all connected to it. 
um, in our own ways. We've all got stories uh, to tell, and that's yeah, that's uh, that's our family's story. And it just um, it, it works for everyone, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting is we did a, a thing for EPK, like the behind the scenes, and we did this thing where we asked most people who worked on the show you know, what's your connection? And literally every single crew member or cast member had a story just like that. My grandfather's annoyed that he lost his um, golf clubs at Dunkirk, you know, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what that says about my grandfather. But, uh, but you know, everyone, everyone has little random tidbits. And, you know, and I think, you know, it makes you realise just how connected we are still with it. You was talking about your, your mother-in-law. I'm literally just having palpitations thinking about my grandfather-in-law on Christmas Day and hearing the same four stories that I've heard every Christmas. You know. um, no, well, that must be no wonder we lost Dunkirk in the fighting <laughs> with golf clubs, <laughs> though. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> but t t tell me about the, I mean, the, Kevin Ligo was very complimentary at the start and said it looks sumptuous, and it does mm. absolutely look sumptuous. It sort of reeks of decadence as well as um, drama. Um, I, I was very curious because I spent, I spent most of the first episode, apart from admiring the dog, also wondering where the outside of the hotel is um, in real life. It's in Lincoln's Inn. In Lincoln's Inn. Yeah. But the, but the rest, all the interior is it's a set. A and set. Uh, it's, yeah, it was, I have to be honest, when we built that set, we did have a moment of like, we are probably going to get sacked. <laughs> it's, it's really cost a lot of money and it's very, you know, it is amazing. And Matt Gant, who designed it's here tonight. And, we, we went and had a look at, um, we had to do a lot of terrible research in hotels in oh. London. Hotel oh. 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 You know, oh. um, But we, we, we knew that it had to look five star. Yeah. And, you know, we, so in West London right now, there is a sort of double height uh, hotel <laughs> with nobody in it. In an industrial estate. <laughs> in an industrial estate. We were actually joking that it could be like The Shining because it's literally empty want, at the moment. Yeah, we'd quite and like I to go make a little film. That's a little fantasy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but no, I, so yeah, so we, it, you know, it was quite a big job to build that set, and it is a phenomenal set. I have to say, you know, we I work for Left Bank Pictures, which makes The Crown, which has been <laughs> is an amazing show. And about a few weeks before we um, started filming, actually. Andy Harris said, come and watch a crown, come and watch the crown, come with us and see it in the edit. And we went, didn't we, yeah. with Stephen Wolfenden, who, who's a fantastic director who directed this, and JP Gossard, who lit it. And, oh, God, it was awful, because we just went, it was brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> and uh, so we just felt like so much pressure. And I mean, obviously, that's why he did it, and uh, it worked. But, but we'd already built a really good set, and then we just knew. But, we'd, but I think, actually, for, for months and maybe years, actually, um, I'd been working in an office where that was being yeah. developed, so I was seeing all the mood boards, the hearing about it, all that kind of stuff. So it was just, it probably rubbed off, I think. I think it's, it's interesting, like um, Kevin was talking earlier, uh, he said about the, the mention about budgets on ITV shows versus international shows, and he mentioned The Crown again. I think, you know, one of the things that Sharon and I talked about a lot is that we are living in a world where we have to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with America. Mm. And I know that more than ever with Downton is that, you know, when the Emmy noms come out and the whatever noms, you know, you, you put a British show back right next door to a British show, and yet their budget is literally 50 times more. And so that it's that constant difficulty that you have, which is, you know, and it's the, the hardest thing is for our HODs, our, our costume, our makeup, our production design, our lighting team is saying, mm. okay, guys, 
let's aim, aim high. And I think actually what's amazing about the Halcyon is that everyone literally jumped as high as they could and we have something that I hope and feel is massively lavish and has huge I mean, production value. We, we had a decent budget, a yeah. really good budget, but you know nowadays the budgets are just enormous for things. You know, well, I mean, it, because of the co-productions that are going on. There are eight shows in the series, mm. and that's an ambition, and it's yeah. shows an ambition exactly. in its own, its yeah. own right. It was, but for it, me, it was great because I got, I've never been part of something where I got to see the MDF stage, and <laughs> then two weeks later it sort of you know zhuzhed up. I mean, did you get to see it before it was really? No, I did. you walk in? No, I... <laughs> <laughs> Why did you think? Yeah. How did you manage that? <laughs> I think I went for a costume visiting with Anna. I was there for hours. And I got to see it being built. And I think there was something quite comforting about um, seeing something from the very start. You really feel as if you're part of the team. And therefore, you can feel as if you can give your best because it was a very warm feeling cast and crew that were in it from the beginning. And, you know, you can go into shows and it's very nerve wracking, you know, when people are established and you go in and, and you have to sort of do an episode. And that can be the scariest thing. But for me, it was so comfortable from the start. And that's why I felt like I could really do my best. It, I mean, working with an ensemble of 22, I mean, yeah. that's quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And, but that's, and I, I did wonder at the start if it was almost too, there was almost too much going on. But I found that reading that first episode, they establish every character so well. Yeah. You sort of fall in love with them all from, from the off. And then you're on this sort of journey, this roller coaster, and it doesn't let up. And I think it's the pace that I love so much about it. Well, this is very, very pacey. I think that first episode is such a, it's such a, I think it's a difficult thing to do, set up a new story, mm. to establish new characters. It's a hard thing to, to create something that's exciting and has drama, but also tells you who everybody is. And I think this does it so, so beautifully and so, so effortlessly. Um, so I just I hope that the, that the audiences will, will feel the same way about it. Because I think it's just, yeah, you get these little teasers. As you say, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of people to cover. But these little tiny little snippets of mm. teasers of what's to come. Yeah. And I, I think it just does it so, so beautifully. And with this sense of pace and, uh, and movement, which it gives it a very distinctive feel, that, that transient feel of a hotel. And mm. Well, like every general manager, you have some... Dark secrets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. So he's he, he's a gift of a character from that point of view because there 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 are sort of you'll get to see the kind of many the many layers that make up uh, Mr. Garland and because he's a kind of hub character and and has relationships with almost everyone in the building. You kind of get to see all of those facets, all of those. All of those relationships are all quite different, and at the same time, you'll get to see him having kind of personal meltdowns in his office as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, as an actor, it's, it's, there's it's so much It's a really to play. hard character to play because actually those kind of hub characters, you say, everyone's just running around you doing stuff and you have to convey so much with so little sometimes. And, you know, Steve, we knew when we, we, we were so lucky to get Stephen to say it. So, so while the rest of them were drinking co top cocktails <laughs> on their hotel visits, were you yeah. just sitting in the corner watching the <laughs> yeah. I, I Literally, yeah. I did, yeah. I did kind of shadow someone who was, a, who was a manager at a high-class establishment. It was brilliant. It was, Wh which one? Uh, it was at the Savoy, and he was, um, he was fantastic. Yeah, I literally I spent a day kind of just watching watching him work, and it's it's a skill. It's you know working at that at that level it is a uh, you know it's one thing being a manager of a hotel, but it's a different thing being a manager of 
you know, a quality establishment. It was amazing. And it's those fine little... These, these people have an, an eye for detail that you just wouldn't um, believe. So, um, yeah, that... that we tried that. to do that with, with quite a lot of the cast. Like um, Akshay, who's our head barman, he went to cocktail school. Um, the chefs went and learnt knife work. Uh, Nick, who plays the door... Knife work, sounds yeah, slightly... You know, slightly... In a war. Uh, yeah, and, you know, uh, Nick, Nick, who's uh, Skinner, our doorman, he spent time with the doorman at the Ritz, I think it was, and I think it's important to, to, to see that world because, you know, those people's jobs are their lives, and I think it's important to... No, they have an aura them. about yeah. them, and, yeah. and you need to see how that works. No, that's, that, that's fascinating. And the Savoy. So you've seen the best sweets in the Savoy now, haven't you? I had a glimpse. <laughs> I, had a look, I had a nosy around... <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of my favourite shots, which is completely off-piste. <laughs> there, I don't know where I've gone. But my two favourite shots of the first episode are you with the smoking. I think that's really beautiful. And Annabelle with the the, the cigarette when she stubs. is that in the first one? Yeah, yes. just before it smells. It smells like tart yeah. in here. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Move on. Well, I was. I was, uh, <laughs> I was Thank you, Tara. Thanks for no that. Problem. <laughs> As I go for the third, the third Downton shot in the drinking game, I was going to say it's much racier than Downton. Is it? Yeah. Oh, but there's, I mean, there's more sex and nudity in, yeah. in one episode than there was in six series, yeah. as far as I. Yeah, you, you wouldn't see Maggie Smith standing up in that bar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a thought. Um, but no, I think you know one of the things when I when I came on board and I, I can't. I can't get away from the Downton thing, you know, as much as I tell you, I said a lot, um, you know. But it, I think it was important for me not to make the same show. And when I first met Sharon and Andy, I was quite worried about taking the show on because I was a bit like, I feel like I, I've treaded this ground before. And actually, I think that's been a brilliant mantle, which is to always go, right, how is this different? And actually, I'm very proud that we've made a, a very different show. Like we were talking about, it's pacier, it's sexier. And I think because... It's a, it's a different time period. But I've got to be honest, I didn't actually yeah. really watch Downton. And so when I developed this show... <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I watched a few episodes and, then, and I'd never even thought about it, to be honest. Uh, being the same, no. I never even thought about occupying the same territory. And then but I think you know, every period drama now yeah. gets the same mantle. Sorry. Victoria, that was the one I remember yeah. when Victoria came out. Everyone was like, it's the next Downton. I was like, it's very different. And I, yeah. I think so you're all, you know, as a British period drama... We're always going to... We're going to have that comparison. We're going to have that comparison. Well, I mean, that's because we're obsessed by class. And, mm. you know, if, yeah. you, if you have any drama in a hotel, then you're pushing all the classes together. Mm. But if you do it in wartime, you're forcing the classes And I think that's, that's a, a great thing up. about the Second World War. I mean, it completely changed the whole entire class system. You know, the First World War chipped away at it. The Second World War almost smashed it. I mean, not completely. We all still have it now. But, um, but it also, the Second World War smashed so many things. You know, women in the workplace. You know, and I think that's what's exciting about tackling a drama in this period is it allows stories that those other shows can't go near because of the, the, the period of time we can tell amazing stories at a heightened period. That, that was yeah. the, the, the women in the war thing was actually early on that was you know, we developed some stories changed things changed but you know we always wanted to have strong women at the center yeah. of this who were changing and Lady Hamilton's story for instance is all about that because her husband No well she's a fantastic died. I mean the cast the cast is a very strong and wonderful it's a cast, brilliant and, cast. And, and Olivia is fantastic Olivia's amazing and you know as she she begins to realize that she can you know have her say. I mean, she has quite a lot to say once she opens her mouth in the end. Yeah. But she's Ooh, yes. an Indian. <laughs> but she, she's been living in the shadow of this 
you know, husband, and now he's gone. And uh, well, I mean, that was the big shock of the first episode for me because I mean, Lord Hamilton is a fantastic character, and you think, well, no. Imagine killing <laughs> Alex Jennings. Yeah. <laughs> I know. People thought we were mad. I know. But, uh, but I think what's brilliant about that, and you know, please no spoilers, everyone. You know, mm. don't don't tell anyone. Um, but it's you know, it sets everything off like that. That one moment where he passes away is it means every single character in the entire hotel's life has changed now. You know, Freddie is Lord Hamilton. You know, what's this going to mean for Toby? What's this going to mean for Garland? Who I love the moment where you know, you know, they have that moment in the office with Lady Hamilton. Well, thank God it's not your decision. <laughs> oh, it is now. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's that's ultimate. That you know, that that one moment will domineer the rest of the series, and it's it's that domino. It's, it's a catalyst you know. for so yeah. much, and I think then the whole series sort of hangs off that, and it, and hopefully. It just gets more and more exciting. It's a bit sad that we oh. lose Alex so yeah. soon. Yeah. It is. I think. I can always do a, a flashback or something. Yeah. Well, I think a flashback of standing up in the bath. I thought but I don't know. But no, I think it's interesting talking about the pace, and I think actually it, it, it gets pacey. The more you now know the characters, the more everything dominoes into the war. It gets pacier. So if, if people think this one's fast, wait till they start watching episode seven and eight. Hmm. They're literally going to be holding onto the edge of their seats. I hope. And I think that starting with the explosion is such a great idea as well. Starting with that bang and then winding back, and because you know, oh, we've got to get to that point now. It's, it's a great, it's a great setup there. I think. No, it, it rattles along, um, but we must rattle along too. I think it's time to throw the questions over to the floor. Thank you so much. Uh, I've got my question for Kara. Uh, how do you uh, singing? What's your inspirations? Um, well, I, um, <laughs> Sam was my inspiration <laughs> because I, um, I listened to a lot of jazz and I suppose it was interesting, Rita Hayworth and sort of all those sort of movie stars of the time because we think of Ella Fitzgerald and all those incredible black singers. Um, but jazz was just such a, an amazing part of, of the, the 40s. And um, I just, to be honest, it was just all a bit of a whirlwind. And I just sang a lot and um, tried to get to know the songs as much as possible. Because what we'd do is we'd, uh, they'd give me the songs, then I'd learn them, then we'd go and record them roughly so that we could film them. And then we'd go back and, and sort of iron them out and do them properly. And it was lovely because once I got to know them well, I could really enjoy them. And um, they're fantastic songs. I sing them all the time when I listen to So you can get the album. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no one's in any Sharon doubt. Sharon and I right. in the edit, anyone who's been in the edit with us, who a few people have here, it is ridiculous because the yeah. songs just get in your head and, yeah, we just spend our days singing them. And you went off filming to the sort of Café de Paris. And yes, yeah. and I have to watch Beverly Knight singing and my character says, is she better than me? And I thought, I can't say that. <laughs> 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 uh, but it kind of felt quite good, actually. <laughs> I really am playing a singer. And, um, yeah, it was great fun, great fun. Thank you very much. Um, I just wondered, when you were developing it, like you said it was, it's been in development for quite a while, do you have some really good primary sources, etc.? You mentioned the Café de Paris where there was actually a big bomb, wasn't there? Yeah. And, and I think the, um, you are right about the different races that were in there, the band leader and all those That's sort of right. people. But um, in terms of the hotels, were there any good uh, memoirs or, um, or was it like a melange of different ones? Yeah, we, we tend to work on every project we work on um, at Left Bank. We tend to have researchers, quite, you know, a massive amount of researchers on every project. 
And um, so we tend to just do an enormous amount of reading around a subject. And um, obviously, there are some fantastic bits of source material, like you say, the Café de Paris, and it was uh, actually quite a famous story about a guy called Snake Hips Johnson who was singing in there and a bomb dropped on there and he died and he was an American singer. I think I've got that right. And so... Snake Hips Johnson. Snake That's Hips a, what a name. That's a name what like a dude. That. And uh, so we kind of had... You know, we tried to... I think you can... I personally, if you can... Vi I like to sort of visualise things and I think, you know, if you, can, if you can see it, you think, oh, we can do something with that. Um, and so, you know, for instance, that was always an idea that we would go to the Café de Paris. We didn't think we'd have Snake Hips Johnson, but we thought we would do something like that. And then Beverly Knight uh, agreed to be in the show and sing. And so we did this whole set piece there and actually in the Café de Paris as well, the real Café de Paris. So it kind of all came together, but that was something that we'd been talking about for since the beginning, actually. So, yeah, no, tons and tons of research, actually. Greedy, because I've got a production question and yes. then a cast question. For production, how liberating is it to be able to do that time zone in a hotel and be able to have sort of sexual liberation compared to doing Downton? Oh, I mean, oh, it's brilliant. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know the world's your oyster. And I, and I think, you know, that's, that's what's so great is that at this point you can push the boundaries more. You know, you can push the boundaries with diversity, with, you know, uh, our, our female characters, with our, you know, uh, you might have seen a little tidbit in our um, sizzle reel that we have, you know, stories about homosexuality. And, and, and ultimately, the, the doors are much wider open. You know, they opened so far in 1920 in Downton World, they opened so far in 19, you know, 40, and then obviously you get to contemporary world where you can, the floodgates are open. And I think that's, that's massively exciting. And I think that was a massive draw for me to be able to go, right, what great stories do we have? But, I mean, you know, it's not a spoiler, I don't think, because you could see it. But, I mean, you know, one of our biggest love stories is a homosexual love story. And I'm really, I mean, everyone loves that story. I mean, literally, everyone watches it. It's, it's the biggest love story. You just, you're hooked. Um, I think you said it was your favourite one. I think it might be. <laughs> <laughs> I care. There's other people here who've got that. other stories. You know? yeah, <laughs> um, no, it is one of but it, no, it's, And I think, so to, to answer your question, yeah, it's, it's, it's massively liberating. And, uh, you know, going back to the source material conversation, you start reading this material, and some of it you just can't believe. You go, well, that actually happened. And... Oh my God! And, and I think what's interesting is to try and tell sometimes those darker sides of the war. Um, you know, we all think of the keep calm and carry on blitz spirit, but you know there was a lot of dark shit that happened during that war. And I think it's interesting to, to delve into some of those stories as well. And for Cara, um, going naked or singing in the first episode, which was more difficult for you? Oh God! <laughs> and, is your, and do you have um, a music career ahead? I was about as unsexy and unconfident as I've ever been. I was just, I had sort of black tape everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex saw absolutely nothing. But it was just quite funny because I was sitting in that bath for hours and sort of starting to sort of shrivel up. Shrivel up. <laughs> 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 a bath like that warm yeah. is, is tough really, as well. Yeah, but I'm um, sorry, what was the question again? What, what was the, <laughs> so I think, um, I think that bit, actually that, that was relatively easy. They make it really comfortable for you and Anna made sure I was fine. And, um, but singing, yeah, it was a little bit um, daunting at first. But uh, I just felt so lucky to be part of the entertainment zone of the Halcyon because you're, you're just in this incredible atmosphere all the time. So I felt like I was going out all the time just singing uh, in front of lots of people. So it was great fun. It was just the 
most wonderful part to play. I'm not a singer, but I can pretend to be a singer, I think. Very well. <laughs> very, very well. Thank you. Hi, uh, this is going to sound like a loaded question, but it's not. Um, and the answer might be that there is no answer. I was just wondering, when, when, you, when you bring an American character, um, like the one that you saw, is there a kind of, like, what, is there something specifically behind that, you know, could, could that character have been British and there was a reason that you thought, oh, let's, let's bring in an American, is there a kind of flavor attached to that in the way that, for example, in the States, when there's a British character, there is often this kind of, oh, well, let's make him, you know, authoritative or fancy or you know, something that goes with an RP accent. Um, and I'm just wondering if there's something like that here. Um, I think we always thought that in a, in a five-star hotel, there was just an opportunity to have people from all walks of life. And as the series goes on, you get kind of kind of wealthy refugees from Europe, you get American characters. And in, in fact, in the second season, if we get one, we, it's all about um, Americans coming to live in London to decide whether they're going to join the war effort or not. I mean, um, so, but that character, you know, he, he's based obviously yeah. on Ed Murrow. And there was just, a sort of, we had a sort of fascination with that character about someone, we liked him as a sort of, as a narrator really. He's sort of a bit like a character on the outside looking in. So, um, he performed kind of quite a useful function yeah. in story terms because he was commenting upon what... So he comments, really, upon what we've just seen. In the um, only way that Amer an American in Britain can in 1940. I mean, that was, I think, also interesting about Ed Murrow, you know, that he, you know, as much as what he did for the war, and I think what, if any of you read about Ed Murrow, it's amazing how he's vital in, in bringing America into the war. But ultimately, he was also was the outsider looking in and was saying the things that other people can't. So I think... That was a big thing for us is that, mm. you know, he, he can say, say the things that the stuffy Brits can't because it was still stuffy Brits. And I think, uh, and it, yeah, and he's kind of watching, he's, you know, he's observing this unfolding crisis as, you know, we, uh, in the, during the phony war and then, you know, the blitz starts. And it's like his sort of shock at going, oh, my God, this is really happening. And hearing him say that somehow makes it have a bit more weight. Mm. Um, so that, I, we didn't know quite what that would be, but it kind of, it worked. Um, and this is an international show and we do have um, American partners and we are going to hopefully have an American audience and well, global audience, we hope. Things crossed. But things crossed. So, you know, of course there's a, maybe there's an aspect of that, but um, that isn't how it began, I have to say. It was all about, it was really about Ed Murrow, actually. It's definitely not Andy McDowell in Four Weddings and a Funeral. It is. <laughs> no, it's not that. Um, I'm afraid I think we've run, we've run out of time there. Um, but thank you very much to Stephen and to Cara and Chris and Sharon. Um, and if 2016 was the year of the night manager, well, maybe 2017 is the year of the general manager. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. 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 Okay.